0: it's another episode of movies you should love with lauren and scott
1: and welcome to another episode of movies you should love i'm scott and joining me as always is lauren and this is movies you should love this is episode 22 in which we'll be discussing uh uh, the number 79 on afi's top 100 the wild bunch before we do that though um you can visit us on Facebook. We like to uh, encourage people to come there. People leave comments, and we've had some really good conversations there. You can also find us on MoviesYouShouldLove.com. Some, uh, some other really amazing conversations have taken place there. If you find us on iTunes, uh, please rate us. Um, we do love to see that, and uh, like to encourage people to do that so that more people can hopefully find our podcast. This podcast, if you're just now discovering it, Is uh, we kind of like to think of it as a film school without the tuition. We talk about movies. We specifically we analyze movies. This we do sometimes venture into what can be considered spoiler territory, um, because we are not a review podcast. We are we analyze here. Um, So we like to pick them apart. We sometimes we might we might mock them a little bit, but basically we try to figure out what makes these movies work, what makes them, what have made these classic films um, stand the test of time, and what and what are some contemporary movies, maybe, that we think will stand the test of time, and why is that? And so, um, welcome! This is Movies You Should Love with Scott and Lauren, or Lauren and Scott. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, so, uh, Lauren, what have you been up to lately?
0: What? Oh, man. Uh, quite a bit of stuff. Um, but not much of it related to this podcast. Um, or, I should say, not related to uh, to, to movies as much. Um, we, uh, well, the big thing is we migrated our web server for the Movies You Should Love website. So, if you have never been to the website uh, at MoviesYouShouldLove.com, you should totally go and check it out. It's way better than it ever has been in the past. It's fast. It's uh, beautiful. It's lovely. So, go. We probably are enjoying it more than you, but, you know. <laughs> uh, we, uh, but, we are very you know, happy we, with that. We do
1: we do we have been kind of keeping track of some of the stats and it looks like a lot of people are discovering the website and seem to be uh clicking around and reading different articles and whatnot um so on that note please let us know what you like about the website what you would like to see added we're always kind of trying to evolve the website and keep it um you know make it something that you know is helpful and useful and fun for you the listener or the reader so you know what can we do what what would make this uh, website be something that would uh, make it a must view website every day or every week
0: yeah exactly um, let's see uh, another uh, I've been working a little bit on um, I, I have a documentary film project that I've been working on here recently and, and yeah. we're not quite ready to uh, to reveal anything about it yet Fair but enough. Um, that's been eating up a lot of my time here in the last few weeks which is, is partially why if you're if you've been listening you I haven't been talking about that many movies that I've seen, because I've been busy working on my own. But um, in, <laughs> the, in the next few weeks, I'm sure we will be ready to roll out some more information on that. So we'll keep you posted on on what I've been doing with that. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so really, the only thing I've seen this week, aside from maybe a little TV here or there, is mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I finally sat down. We've been wanting to see this for a while, but we finally sat down and watched My Week with Marilyn, um, which came out here this last year and was... Um, you know, it was up for some Academy Awards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good movie. Um, has Kenneth Branagh and, uh, he's fantastic playing Laurence Olivier. Which uh, is
1: really good timing considering we just watched we just Olivier. Ins-
0: well, no, it was fascinating because, um, watching this movie just after seeing, um, Spartacus, it was amazing Seeing how well Kenneth Branagh did mm-hmm. as Lawrence Olivier, like the makeup they put him in, the tone of his voice that he's able, like he, it's amazing. And that's what I will say about this movie: is that everybody in it who is playing a real historical person was either cast or, or just is a fantastic enough actor that they can, like just channel those people um i know it's amazing um yeah uh, uh michelle williams as marilyn mm-hmm. is beautiful and um this brings kind of this uh, uh she's like the most depressed person in the world in this movie um right. and it's 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 an amazing look at both who marilyn was kind of the duality of her person kind of the public marilyn and then the you know the personal who she actually was as a human and just kind of seeing some of that it's um i i I really thoroughly enjoyed it and would highly highly recommend it to anyone who uh even has has a passing interest
1: yeah, it's actually been sitting on our uh, on our desk here for about a week. We keep meaning to watch it. You know, Marilyn seems to be on everybody's mind right now. It's, it's a, a big subject in the television show Smash.
0: Yeah, well, that's been a fascinating <laughs> thing, too, because Brandy and I have also been watching Smash. And so just kind of comparing the, the different portrayals mm-hmm. of Marilyn, because, you know, that's been some of the most recent. We've had two different, you know, girls vying to play right. Marilyn on Smash. And so seeing... Michelle yeah, th- Williams' take th- on it, which is this whole other thing, and, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. it's, that's been really interesting to watch, and uh, I'm not I'm I'm not sure which my favorite is. They all have interesting things that they've brought to um, to this picture of of kind of this modern understanding of of who Marilyn Monroe was. The thing,
1: if we're talking about Smash, mm-hmm. I think Ivy might be the better Marilyn, but I don't like her at all. <laughs> So it's really hard. It's really not hard for me to root for the other person, which is funny because I was reading an article where someone was like, "Are we supposed to like Catherine McPhee's character?" And I was like, "Who are you? I don't even understand." <laughs> that you
0: yeah, it, no, it's very interesting. Uh, that's that's something that's been very interesting with Smash. Not to get sidetracked onto it, but just how they're how they are able to kind of do this interesting balancing act of keeping Ivy as a very. Um, unlikable and yet highly relatable and ultimately not hated character like she's
1: She's, no but i mean she does kind of fulfill an antagonistic Mm -hmm. role to the person who we were first introduced to as kind of more or less going to be the main character Mm -hmm. of the of the show um but yet you do feel kind of bad for her when there was there was an episode either last week or the week before where she kind of bottoms out a little bit Mm -hmm. with um drugs and alcohol and you kind of you you feel bad. You don't feel like she's getting what she deserves.
0: Yeah, and and you don't you don't exactly wish her ill, even the oh. like there in that same episode there was kind of some stuff where she and, and where they where they made a truce kind of yeah, and that was just kind of really. Kind of like, man, there is maybe this alternate universe where they actually could be friends and actually be an amazing power for good somehow. What
1: it made me think of was Oscar Wilde uh, and the importance of being earnest. He's like, well, I find women will call each other many, many things before they call each other sisters. You know, they have to kind of go through that moment and then go, okay, we can be friends now.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, anyway, that's that's what I've been up to. So, My Week with Marilyn, highly recommend it. Uh, um, go
1: on. I felt so bad after last week's podcast in which I had nothing to talk about <laughs> that I overcompensated and there's even a couple movies I'm not talking about that I did watch because I'm going to focus on these other ones <laughs>
0: Fair
1: enough. Um, I, a movie I've been really wanting to see that people have been recommending that I check out is this movie called Martha Marcy May Marlene um, which stars uh, the third Olsen who I did not know existed. There's a third Olsen? Yeah, there's Mary-Kate and Ashley and then there's I think her name's Elizabeth,
0: which weirdly enough makes it sound like there's four of them somehow. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, she's really, really good in this, and this movie is essentially um, the, the story is told in the kind of this kind of flashback, you know, forward-moving kind of style where it's um, mm-hmm. kind of told unchronologically. Sorry, that's my phone somebody just started following us on Twitter (laughs) at Movies You Should nice Um, so uh, basically though the movie is about this girl who escapes from this kind of charismatic cult that she has kind of um, found herself in and she kind of she runs away at the very beginning and kind of finds her sister and her sister's uh, husband and starts living with them and as the story progresses we kind of find out more about this cult it kind of flashes back to what they were doing, and it's a really kind of fascinating film that ends in a really interesting way. And I think the tagline of this movie is like um, something along the lines of like you can you can leave, but you can't escape." And that seems to be what drives her character is like this constant fear that these people will find her again, and she's always looking over her shoulder. Um, I think movies like this are really kind of important because I do think it it they do encourage you to. Think for yourself, and to ask questions, and not to be taken in by people. Whether you know whether they are um, cult leaders or politicians or whatever. Um, and so, this movie, honestly, it made me think of a movie that I hated, which was Red State. Um, this is the movie Red State should have been, hmm. because this is a smart w- look at not only people who are taken in by cults, but the cult itself in a way that you go and this is why you know it, doesn't this look appealing on some level and you can actually understand why some people are taken in where Red State just completely demonized the cult in such a way that it became a horror film more than any kind of real examination of, of people, of religion of hatred or whatever this movie really succeeds um, the, the leader of the cult um, is John Hawks who played uh, Sal on Deadwood hmm. or Saul on Deadwood um, really, really good. This is—he's a character actor who's been kind of popping up. He was also in *Winter's Bone*. Um, he's somebody that um, I think is going to win an Academy Award really soon i don't know for what movie it's maybe a movie he's making right now but he, he's kind of creating a career for himself it looks like that's good that's going to be, end up being very impressive mm-hmm. in retrospect
0: you heard it here first people
1: i <laughs> my prediction um but it's really good i would really recommend it it's you know it is i believe it's r-rated um it's got some language and some very uncomfortable scenes and themes um but it is it is very good um very compelling um kind of in juxtaposition to that is battle royale a movie i never really had heard of or had any interest in until i saw the hunger games um this is a movie that a lot of people this is a japanese movie it's based on a book of the same name and um i heard about it because people started kind of saying that the hunger games is basically a ripoff of this book and movie um the movie came out back in 2000 so it's already 12 years old um and the book came out obviously before that, and I can see where people. I mean, there are some very, very um, common elements in story plot. You know, it's it's very similar to the Hunger Games. I can see why people compare the two. It is rated R, and so it is very bloody. They don't hesitate to show you anything. Um, it's very Japanese. Uh, it's. I didn't particularly care for it. Um, if I had seen this first, if I had seen this back in 2000, I might be saying the same thing about the Hunger Games, going, "Oh, this, you know, is a this is a rip off and blah blah blah." But having seen the Hunger Games first, there wasn't a whole lot in this movie that kept me interested or entertained because this movie to me was it's this movie really kind of struck me as the the one note review of the Hunger Games. If you if you look at the Hunger Games, go, "Oh, look, it's twelve year olds killing each other." I think there's more going on in the Hunger Games, um, but that's really what Battle Royale is. It's a group of ninth graders who are taken to an island, and they are made to fight each other for three days. And if there, if one person isn't the, the lone survivor after three days, everybody dies. So there's, there's not even, like, the, like, in the Hunger Games, you have that element of, like, you could survive this just by hiding and letting everybody else kill each other. In this world, they don't have that option. And... I didn't find it overly interesting. I know there's some people that really did like it. Um, a couple of people at work really like it. Um, not my cup of tea. Um, so I saw that and something thats I was, I'm not going to talk a whole, a whole heck of a lot about it here on the podcast because I wrote a review. So I would say go to our website. I wrote a review of the cabin in the woods. It came out last Friday. Um, by the time you hear this podcast, it came out three weeks ago or so. Um, but it is a little horror film written by Joss Whedon and directed by Drew Goddard, who wrote Cloverfield. Um, this is one of his. I think this is his directorial debut. But basically, this is the story of five teenagers who go into, <laughs> go away for the weekend into and they're going to stay at a cabin in the woods. I
0: think I've seen this movie.
1: You have. <laughs> And you haven't, and I don't want to spoil it. I really do want to talk about it, because there's a lot of really fascinating things that go on in here, and I'm tempted just to start talking about it, because we are more of an analytical podcast than a review podcast. But there are some really wonderful reveals that take place in the first five minutes of this film. So to talk about it would be to really spoil a very large element of this movie that, for me, this extra element that they add to the movie... um, puts all horror films into a new context, at least for me. And I think that's kind of what Joss and uh, Drew were trying to do in the writing and directing of this film, is to kind of make people examine the, not only this particular horror film, but all horror films, and ask kind of the question, do they have a place in society, even if you don't like them? What role do they fill have we have humans or society always had this need? It's it's kind of fascinating and it's funny because it's you know it's Joss Whedon so you get those characters you kind of expect you get to kind of banter um, and it's a whole heck of a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It is a horror film. You know, don't think it's not. You know, don't go into it going oh, but it's going to be funny. It is, but it's also a horror film. So it's you know it comes with all those tropes and trappings you would expect from a horror film. Um, but it's actually a horror film. I would recommend um two last things I'm gonna talk about and then we can dive right into um the wild bunch uh one is the station agent have you seen this movie
0: uh yeah shortly after it came out it's been several I, some, years now yeah
1: because yeah it's an older movie it's like well older being 10 years i think at this point mm-hmm. um love this movie. I just watched it last night. It is so great, and I really watched it because Peter Dinklage is in it, um, from Game of Thrones.
0: And who doesn't love Peter Dinklage?
1: Yeah, I kind of go, I need to review this guy's uh, filmography, because I'd I'd seen him in Death 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 at the Funeral? Death and the Funeral?
0: Death at the Funeral, I think.
1: I have it. I own it. Death at a funeral. There Death we go. At A funeral, <laughs> which was a which honestly, if you guys haven't seen Death at a Funeral, you really should. It's Frank Oz's little British comedy about the wacky hijinks let, that takes place. Let at me
0: just let me just clarify what Scott just said. Uh, you need to see the British. Yes, right? because, because there Peter are two Dick, of them. Plays
1: the same character in two different versions of this movie. See the original British one.
0: Right. I not, can't. Not I the remake. That I haven't came seen out. the remake.
1: It's directed by the guy who directed The Illusionist, so it can't be all bad. But the fact that they had to remake it really is odd to me. Um, Especially considering how great the original is. It's an almost entirely British cast, uh, except for Peter Dinklage is in it. Alan Tudyk is in it, who's great. Um, Just a a wonderful, funny film. And honestly, the same thing can be said about the station agent. I thought it was a really charming uh, movie. It's about uh, Peter Dinklage is the main character. uh, Plays a character named Finn, who Basically, inherits a um, a railroad not crossing, but a uh, uh,
0: yeah a station, station kind of, railroad
1: yeah. station. Yeah, that this old you know kind of worn down place that, that the railroad doesn't even use anymore. It's a part of the track that the trains don't use. But he inherits it from his uh, business partner, basically, and uh, the the relationships that kind of come from that. It's a really kind of wonderful little film that I think came out during Miramax's golden age of slightly independent films um and it's really good i would highly recommend the station agent um patricia clarkson is also in it john slattery shows up for a scene who i really like him from madman um <laughs> and the reader of books that i listen to uh and speaking of books that i read um if i don't know how many comic book fans we have out there who would listen to this but if you're at all thinking about it, or if you are a reader and you're not reading the fantastic four right now, shame on you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shame. I say, um, this is, I've, I've never been a huge fan of the fantastic four. I think they're kind of an interesting idea. They are kind of known as, um, the first family in comic books because that has always been a big staple of their story is that you have uh reed and sue who are married and then you have johnny who's uh sue's brother and then you have their best friend best friend ben who make up the fantastic four and then you have in the, as the books have progressed this married couple have had children, and Jonathan Hickman, a couple of years ago, started writing for the Fantastic Four, and I just finished his arc, because he has basically had a story that he started about three years ago that just wrapped up it last week, and it is some of the best writing. If you are a comic book fan, go find Volume 1 of the Fantastic Four, written by Jonathan Hickman. I'm going to have a link up link for it on our uh, our website. If you're a fan of science fiction of time travel, if you're a if you're a fan of Doctor Who and you haven't really found a good comic book, this is it for you because this is the same kind of like optimistic look at science and science fiction and the fun and the adventure you can have in a world where anything is possible. This is really I think what stan lee had in mind when he created the fantastic four it's not i mean you do have some creatures but it's not a creature horror show it's a isn't this interesting we're doing they explore things they discover things there's a there's a big story pop one that takes place underwater in the in the under atlantis there's all sorts of things that happen and it's really some of the best written fun comics i've read in a long time and um it's really it's it's really kind of appropriate for all ages but it's really neat where they go with this story and they're expanding on this concept of family and how family always comes back together and how family copes with loss and all of these really interesting things brothers and sisters and father and son issues and it's great it's mm. really really great um like the the it's the story starts off with you know with dad spending too much time in the lab and what that means for mom basically as she tries to help the kids and the disappointment kids have but then ultimately how dad makes up for it and it's just it's really wonderfully written and it's the kind of story that you can only tell in books or comic books because it is so big and sprawling and so fantastic four as written by jonathan hickman i can't wait to see what his next story is because he's the kind of guy who you know, he, he hides these little details in plain sight in the first couple chapters that don't pay off for three years, <laughs> you know. And it's really neat to see when that moment comes back. And anyway, check it out if you can, if you're interested. indeed, You should.
0: All right. So um, it's the Wild Bunch. Wild I guess bunch. we'll
1: get right into that now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Released in 1969, directed by Sam
0: Peckinpah. Who just has a fun name to say. Isn't that great? Peckinpah. (laughs) We will say it as much as we can. Peckinpah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
1: Uh, basically the story of an aging uh, outlaw desperado band bunch People, A wild
0: bunch of kind of wild, crazy. and crazy guys. Yes, no, but they're they're kind of in their twilight years, and yeah, they're, they're looking to settle down. And so
1: the movie starts off with that one last score. You know that mm-hmm. we're going to do this one last big uh, heist, and then we're going to go down to old Mexico and you know sit on the beach and mm-hmm. sip martinis, and that's going to be our our life. And of course, that's not how you know. That's <laughs> of course that's not what happens. Um, things go awry very quickly for them. Um,
0: yeah, it's very interesting because. 'Cause this movie is set at a point in westerns where you don't you don't really see have as many far way, far you know. Often. Yeah. Most westerns are, you know, late eighteen hundreds kind of, you know, really that that high times of the Wild West. And this is nineteen thirteen. This is Exactly.
1: This is nineteen thirteen. This is the big um kind of know. historical background is the Mexican Revolution and mm-hmm. so this yeah. is the early 20th century. The West
0: is kind of over as this wild place. The railroads are there. This I is mean, the, World War One is about to happen.
1: This is the epilogue to yeah. the to the Old West, basically. Yeah. Because yeah, there's a big moment here where um, they see a car. You know, mm-hmm. there's you know there's cars in this,
0: and they're talking about airplanes in the you know they're going to be used in the war. And
1: yeah, knowing that it's 1913, like you said, World War One's around the corner, mm-hmm. the Great Depression's around the corner, and it's really fascinating to think about how you know honest this is the same world Titanic is set in
0: well that uh, it was Titanic sank last year I was gonna say watching this it was hel- not hilarious but just kind of this weird kind of moment of like all of these timelines of these movies we've been watching here recently not the not the timeline of when they were made but the timeline of of the story they are telling and like and and it was just funny trying to piece them together into a coherent storyline. Like, so Titanic happened a year before this, and then, yeah. you know, the Wild <laughs> Bunch did their thing here, and that happened over in Mexico. Meanwhile, in in Downton, Downton Abbey, <laughs> <laughs> you know.
1: Somebody on Twitter posted, like, so today's the year, 100th anniversary of the Titanic sinking. Does that mean Downton Abbey's first episode aired 100 years ago? I'm confused. <laughs> Nice, But yeah, it it was really fascinating to put it into that historical context and Mm kind of go, wow, you know, Mm -hmm. the West isn't that far removed from us. I mean, it is, it's over 100 years old at this point, but it's really kind of (laughs) fascinating.
0: Yeah, you know, it's still very relevant. And, and I think that's kind of one of the things about this movie is it's, um, I think it's a movie that is entirely, you know, it was released in 1969. Mm -hmm. But it's incredibly relevant today. Mm-hmm. And incre- incredibly relevant to its time, and incredibly relevant to the time it was speaking about inside the movie. It's it's a very fascinating, um, it's a fascinating story from that kind of perspective.
1: Absolutely, and you know, and thinking when it was released, nineteen sixty nine. This is, uh, we're in we're in Vietnam at this mm-hmm. point, or, yeah, we're still in Vietnam in nineteen sixty nine. Um. And that leads to a movie that becomes very controversial because of what Peckinpah kind of decided he wanted to make out of his movie. Um, this is one of the, the most violent movies, maybe ever. Maybe not ever made, but at the time, people said this is the most violent movie that has ever been released.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, we talked about last week about how you know Spartacus had these these huge battle scenes and mm-hmm. stuff, and you know, this movie puts that to shame yes um, I mean this movie you know in Spartacus you might see a really poorly lopped off arm, arm or something yeah. you know and it has like two little blood spurts and you're kind of like oh well that's really <laughs> kind of cheesy yeah. by today's standpoint
1: But this, um, the, 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 the wounds in this are the kind of wounds you still see today mm-hmm. by and large there are some that you know you kind of go ah 1969 special mm-hmm. effects but there are some especially the, the, the quick ones that happen where you see like a blood spurt you go yeah that's what we would see in you know the remake of 310 to yuma you know Mm -hmm. this is it's you know kind of a lot of modern filmmaking still Mm using the same techniques
0: yeah you know holes are blown open in clothing and you know there's blood spurts and there's and there's a lot of it yeah
1: you know it's 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 not the kind of western where you have a a showdown between two guys in the street or you have a a a guy who's shooting guys who are falling off of ledges down a long road and you don't kind of see the guy once he hits the ground this is a movie that will a guy gets shot the whole movie will slow down in slow motion so you can see the guy getting hit his body convulsing as the bullets hit him and then he falls and the camera follows him in slow motion he hits the ground it's still in slow motion i mean this is a movie that really wanted you to take that in and really note what violence does to the human body
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, and it was hugely, hugely controversial. Controversial when it came out. Um, you know, reviews of this movie were incredibly mixed, and uh, you know, even at like the press screenings and stuff. Um, Roger Ebert went to the, the the main press junket when they were releasing the movie, and you know, when the lights came back up after it, the movie was met with both applause and catcalls and boos and hisses i mean right. it was like the gamut people yeah. loved it and people hated it instantly divergent yeah. yeah you know the the uh reporter from reader's digest was like why did you have to make this movie <laughs> you <Yeah>. know like <laughs> yeah. like why does this even exist this shouldn't exist i mean that was kind of her point point. and uh you know someone was else was like why did you have to show so much blood and ernest borgnine it was like have you ever seen anyone get shot when there wasn't blood. Yeah. You know, it's it's very much that reality that it's trying to create and but it was it was hugely divisive when it came out.
1: Yes. And to answer that question honestly, um Peckinpah at the time had become kind of frustrated with um, how much violence America was being exposed to on the news. Because, again, this is the middle of Vietnam, and so and Vietnam was kind of known as the first televised war. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, all of a sudden you have a lot of people, a lot of innocents being shattered. Uh, people, you know, America, this is the war that kind of disenchanted America with war in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Peckinpah chooses the Western genre as, because the Western genre at the time was a very fanciful, very... Um, chivalrous, very you know, myth, mythological genre in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Well, I will take that, and I will fill it with the reality we are seeing on the news, because you know, a a cowboy can't shoot an Indian without him actually completely destroying the inter- internal organs and external appearance of an Indian. You know, like you can't do that. Yet we're seeing that all the time in these movies, mm-hmm. um, and so he basically kind of disenchanted." America with Western films in this way and, uh, John Wayne hated it you know he kind of claimed that this, it was destroying the myth of the Old West and I think that's a really funny review because that's, I, that's exactly what, that's what he set out to do it's like yeah. well yes it is a myth you know mm-hmm. the the heroics of war is a myth mm-hmm. the the gallantry the the all of these things that we kind of attach to war we clearly can see is not the case there are not heroes and villains in war. They're not really, there were not heroes and villains in the old West. It was just people. And if you look around at the people around you, imagine everybody carrying a gun and being willing to shoot anybody around them. It would not be a hero and villain situation. It would be kind of what he gives us this dirty, raw, bloody anti hero versus villain, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that you might have bad guys, but the good guys really aren't good either. And that's another big thing in this movie. The good guys aren't good guys. They are kind of grimy guys who, you know, they, they do operate under a certain code. They do that code of the West that you kind of understand is kind of what rules this group. But you have to understand that they are outlaws. They mm-hmm. are kind of the bad guy of the old West. But there's that really interesting part near the end where they go back to save Angel. And he's like, you know, he you gave him, a, he gave you his, he gave his word. and He's like, no, that doesn't matter. The fact that he gave his word doesn't matter. It's who you give your word to that matters. Mm-hmm. The fact that we gave our word to a scumbag really invalidates the fact that we gave our word. Mm-hmm. We we gave our word to save our hide. You know, it's this really interesting concept um, that you have the the group kind of arguing over, and then you have the leader, uh, played by William Holden, who... Um, oh, what. What does he say? He says this really kind of great line where he kind of really, he basically says something along the lines of, We are now defining ourselves beyond our gun. You know, kind of, he kind of notes the fact that we are no longer just gunslingers and gunfighters. We are more than that. And that time is over. That chapter has closed. Mm-hmm. The West is over. We are now in the 20th century and we have to acknowledge that, which is, again, a fascinating commentary put in 1969, the old ways are over. It's the 70s now. (laughs) You know, it's 1969. Mm -hmm. We can't think that way anymore.
0: Yeah. No, and this is all incredibly, really interesting stuff, especially when you consider the other major Western that came out in 1969 was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah. So this, uh, which is truly taking, it's, it's fascinating because it's taking outlaw characters, but truly taking them to that immortalized, um, you know, even embracing the Western mythos even more. Right. So it's like diametrically opposed movies. You know, in this in in the Wild Bunch, you have a movie that leads to a giant shootout that turns into a massacre at the end. Yeah. Whereas in Butch Cassidy, you have the two outlaws facing the Living wild shootout in this first moment. <laughs> they freeze the moment where they live forever. It, it's it's just an amazing Which is it is
1: interesting because they both essentially end the same way. Mm-hmm. But, but for stylistically, completely
0: different reasons. Right,
1: exactly. Stylistically one ends complete in a much more positive like mm? kind of way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's yeah, this was just it was a
1: I wasn't yeah, this movie ends with a very big, big bloody shootout that I, was, I expected a shootout but as soon as they, there comes a moment they go back to get one of their guys from this kind of uh, general, this Mexican general because the whole story revolves around, I'll back up a little bit further they get down to Mexico um, having not scored big on their last uh, big score and it uh, kind of gets head up with the Mexican Revolution and this one revolutionary is like you know, if I could have some guns I could make a difference, I, we could fight back um, and so they go and they're going to go kind of steal these 12 cases of of government guns. Anyway, one of their men ends up kind of getting uh they feel like he's betrayed them and so the general takes this guy his name's Angel and they go back to go get him and at the very end um the shootout just you know they shoot the general because the general kills their friend in front of them and as soon as that happened I went oh I know how this movie's going to end, you know. It's like, it's, and even a little bit before that, where they there's this really great sequence uh, where they the four of them just slowly walk from the brothel to the general, which is a scene that, you know, Tombstone clearly loved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it, it is almost the same scene. If you've seen Tombstone, that scene where Doc Holiday and Wyatt and the brothers walk through Tombstone to the O.K. Corral, it's the same moment. Um, a little bit smaller in this film, but Still, very, very much the same. Um, during that walk, I went. This is the end of the movie. They're walking to. Okay, no one's coming out of this alive, and they, <laughs> and they don't. Everybody, everybody dies mm. at the end of this movie. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the interesting thing to me about this movie is how well, especially the action sequences stand up today and how shocking they still are today because it's very interesting that while this movie kind of set the bar for where all of this would go and, and, you know, has definitely influenced, you know, every filmmaker since then. I mean, and especially, I mean, you know, you, you can start listing people who have directly, as you were saying with, you know, Tombstone. Mm -hmm. Um, But, what's fascinating with this movie is how it truly is not afraid to kill anyone uh, because they kill women and children and men and and people who are not a part of the battle. And I mean, it is, it is shockingly graphic. Especially that who dies. Yeah.
1: And especially that last battle, the way that the way they handle it is in, is really in this kind of, Mistakes happen, sort of way, mm-hmm. where you know people are shooting at everybody, and there's this one woman. She runs into the room just because she's trying to get somewhere, and the guy just turns around and just shoots her because
0: because he saw movement running
1: at him. Yeah, now and so he's like, oh, oh, and the and then the the battle kind of continues, you mm-hmm. know. um But yeah, it's like not afraid to kind of show that you know innocent people get gunned down in this, and mm-hmm. that's also part of the these guys aren't heroes because in the old west. Nobody who didn't deserve to die died, <laughs> right. unless it was the catalyst to a story to find the bad guy kind of a thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was, um, and and this is something that even in modern movies we are really we don't see this concept. We we keep collateral damage off the screen we for keep the most it at part. A minimum
1: and, it is really unpleasant. Yeah,
0: and unless it's a major plot point, usually we yeah. keep it off the screen. And so this movie has a... Just from that thing alone, the, the amount of collateral damage, it packs a punch mm-hmm. that most movies will not. Um, and that was something that was just fascinating to see, and unsettling at the same time, yeah, this, I mean, is, this, just to see it, that.
1: Like you said, this really kind of set a certain standard, because this was... I was also reading this was one of the first films to really uh, embrace the multi-angle filming style that we mm-hmm. that you see just... Commonplace. It's on TV shows
0: today. You know, multi-angle, multi—you know, film speeds where you can slow up time, and you know, where it's not a literal depiction of the battle. It's more kind of a a A poem or a stylized version of it. Just kind of like, oh, and now somebody gets killed, and we're going to watch them fall in slow motion, rather than they die and they fall and the next you know it's yeah. it's very very stylized some of it
1: works better than others for me there was some of the sometimes in the battles i did feel and this might have been completely intentional it felt a little chaotic mm-hmm. which i know especially in that last shootout but even in the very first shootout it's supposed to be chaotic um but the way sometimes the way the slow motion worked or the way they he would edit between, you know, normal 24 frames a second to 48 frames, it seemed a little haphazard at times, just kind of like, oh, and now it's in slow motion, and now it's not, and oh, and now it's in slow motion, and now it's not. Like It didn't always feel like there was a real rhyme or reason to every choice he made, uh, as far as the way, was, at least the way it was edited, maybe the way it was shot. Um, I do feel like um, some uh, modern filmmakers have kind of taken that concept and use it in a more interesting way. If you even think about the way the battle scenes in the the Lord of the Rings movies are edited, Mm -hmm. where you have kind of that same mix of, you know, full speed action, but then then Peter Jackson will cut to slow motion to heighten a particular moment, not a particular wound, but, you know, to kind of go, you know, uh, I don't know, Aragorn looks over the wall and he sees that one orc running with the torch to detonate the bomb, and things kind of slow down as the horror sets in. And then it ramps back up once something happens. Um, that doesn't really happen in this movie, and maybe it's and maybe that's on purpose, or maybe it's because people have kind of gone, oh, we can use that in a new and interesting way. And it's possible Peck and Paul was just wanting to slow down those gunshot wounds because he wanted to heighten that, because that's essentially what seems to happen the most in this is you, it slows down to show somebody dying. But mm-hmm. it's not somebody you know. It's again, it's not like in Lord of the Rings where the whole thing slows down, music drops every time one of our favorite characters is killed. Um, it seems it's you know it's stuntman number four mm-hmm. <laughs> getting riddled with bullets.
0: Yeah, it's 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 very interesting because it is it doesn't have all of the sensibilities of a film that you would make today, and so it, it definitely has a completely different feel for an action movie. Um, than what you're used to watching, which is both part of, of why it still works so mm-hmm. well, I think. I think that's Absolutely. kind of part of because it, because the, the type of storytelling that it is doing is different to begin with, and then adding in, just coming from a different time, that also adds to um, just kind of putting you in that, that uncomfortable position with it. Um, so yeah, it's... It's very very fascinating. I don't know. I it's it's I know I'm saying fascinating a lot in this, but it but it, it, it is it a is.
1: fascinating film. It is. It does, I have to admit though, it does have one of my least favorite things in any kind of storytelling, which is the prolongated laugh. <laughs> the pro-
0: <laughs> it ends with prolonged laughter and it's Oh my gosh.
1: Oh. You know, it's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> Stop laughing.
0: But but how else would you know that those characters were enjoying the moment, Scott?
1: Okay. It, it, it happens at the at the very beginning of the movie. Like after the the heist goes wrong, you kind of have a character says something, and then everybody kind of stands around laughing. And if they had cut it a little bit faster, I would have just gone like, okay. Because its it, it wasn't a particularly funny <laughs> moment to me. It was just like, oh, I could see where... But it made sense for the characters to laugh. But it goes on for a really long time, and at the very end of the film, like the one guy's like, "Hey, I'm going to go do something. You want to join me?" And then he laughs maniacally into the sunset. And then, <laughs> as the credits roll, he starts remembering other people laughing as well. The guy, but the that bearded guy laughs. Really, I'm like, "Why is he laughing?" There's no reason for him to be laughing. He's still laughing, and then it became funny. <laughs> But it's one of those things that I don't know if it's, and this is one of the things I remember you and I laughing about about the pilot episode of Spartacus. It's like it feels like sometimes actors don't know what what to do with a certain scene because the scene needs to last a certain amount of time, or they need to get from point A to point B, and so somebody will say something and they'll go (laughs) and kind of you know they'll they go well I need to throw something in here, so they laugh, and it kind of felt that way a couple times in this movie, and I don't know if that's from the director or if that's a just a Something that came with the time, but it, it, it's, it's just one of those things in movies and in television that kind of drives me nuts because it's like, don't tell me what's funny. But if they're laughing, I don't mind them laughing, but it needs to be a moment that I can join in the laughter. Mm-hmm. And both times it happened in this film was not a moment that I found particularly funny or even like amusing. It's like, that's a thing. Well,
0: uh, yeah, I think uh, the way I kind of interpreted it, I i actually felt it was very intentional in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't think we were necessarily supposed to enjoy those moments so much Mm. as I think it was kind of forced on purpose to show that the characters were trying to find as much enjoyment as possible out of the smallest things that they could find. A gallows humor kind of a thing? Kind of a gallows humor kind of thing. I suppose I I could see that. Which I think is why the movie kind of ends that way, because I don't think it's so much that you're supposed to see them... As laughing characters, but it's just trying to see kind of this element where the they were at their best in those moments. But even then, their best was not the reality of what was of who they were as people. The, the
1: closing there's a, there's a little bit of a montage at the end mm-hmm. that c- goes back to one of these laughing moments, and that worked for me more because it felt mm-hmm. like the way that because it's one character who does survive all this is kind of remembering them as he's riding off into the sunset, more or less. Um, and that worked for me more, because it was more of a, this guy remembering that one time when we were all able just to have a moment. And that worked for me. It really did. It was just when it, the first time it happened, it didn't work, and then the guy who was laughing at the end was like, I, I don't understand why you were laughing. I guess, I mean, yes, if I really get into the character, I can go, uh, you know, there's a certain irony to all of this, and, you know... But to me, it's the kind of irony that would be kind of like a, oh, you're going to come join me now? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Instead of like laughing like the Joker into the sunset. <laughs> I'm like, he's still laughing, Kelly. Kelly, he's still laughing. Did I miss the joke? She's like, no, he's still laughing.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, it's... It, it's... What I I found really fascinating is, this is something fascinating, yes, Um, this is something you and I have talked about some, Scott, but sci-fi movies and westerns Mm -hmm. um, are both genres that I especially love, um, because they exist as forms to discuss... Larger topics, and I know we've we've Absolutely. said that here in, in this, but especially I think just about sci-fi films, especially sci-fi films. I mean, I, well, that, that's been
1: yeah, that's our, that's our discussion's been about sci-fi
0: films, yes. but the Western genre
1: is definitely one that I think mm-hmm. exists for the same purpose. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I don't I don't think either of them necessarily started that way. I don't know that mm-hmm. that's the reason they came into existence, but it's it's what they became because they were able to take um, any story or any concept that you wanted to to develop or or understand better and put it in kind of a (laughs) non-threatening, cathartic environment to be able to deal with. You know, something that isn't directly connected to our reality today. Well, uh,
1: yeah, I think as soon as uh, writers and directors recognize that the Western kind of has these tropes, you know, you have uh like this good guy who rides in and you have... You have the people who are fighting for land, and you have the person who means well, but you know it never quite works out well. Mm-hmm. Once you realize you kind of have the, those characters, they become uh, types of characters that can be used to explore a a relevant mm-hmm. modern theme. You know, like oh well, let's tell that story, but let's tell it from the prospector's point of view, you know, or whatever the, the outlaws' point of view. I think it is a genre that has definitely lent itself mm-hmm. to fables yeah. and and parables. Yeah,
0: well, I think that. You know, the Western, especially, has has become identified as truly American yes. filmmaking, um, and so especially in America, it's it's a very easy um, genre to deal with issues going on mm-hmm. in America. I mean, obviously, you know, something like the Wild Bunch, you have Vietnam being dealt with, or or violence and that kind of thing. But as we're going to talk about, uh, you know, in a several movies we have high noon which is going to come out and be about McCarthyism and um, you know any well, of those it, kinds of it, things and the it's, West go ahead yeah it's just no you, you were I think you were going to go down a good track
1: because you you yeah w- what you just said is I hadn't put these words together until what you were just saying the Western is a is undeniably American, because everything about the expansion West is about taking what you have and making something better about it, Mm -hmm. you know, saying, I'm going to go West and find gold, You you know what, I came to America, and I'm going out there because out there I can have land that I can own that no Englishman can take away from me or whatever. And so it is all wrapped up in hope and the idea that you, if you pull yourself up from your bootstraps, you can do it, but it is up to you. It is going to be a lot of hard work. Yeah, but it's, it's totally Although,
0: the American dream kind it's of American encapsulated.
1: Dream. Absolutely. It's, it is the American dream encapsulated. So when you have a movie like this which is the breakdown of the American dream. It's like, it's implied without having to say it because you walk into the Western going, Oh, it's about people trying to make the best of what, what they have. And they're going to, they're going to succeed. And in the first 10 minutes they fail and they show up having been failures for like the last probably 30 years, maybe not failures, but they've had to live outside the law to make their, make their way. And that's, Great! And I hadn't completely thought of that until just now. And that's an, an added layer to this movie that I think also is really fascinating.
0: Fascinating, indeed. Um, and just one other thing to touch on. Uh, something that I think this movie does very well is to kind of portray the Mexican revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the chaos of it. And you know, this it, the stuff that happens in this movie is not historical. It's you know, it's right. it's very much fictional. Um, you know, somewhat would even say that, especially Mexico, and this is kind of portrayed as like a. a types of heaven and hell, kind of, and there's, yeah. like, really good and really bad. Then you have the one Mexican in, in in the gang who's named Angel and is kind of a fallen... You know, there's symbolism that you can pull out of some of this stuff if Absolutely. you feel like it. Absolutely, um, But that that's not really where I want to go with this, because I think, I think you can get maybe too caught up into some of that. Um, but I think that, ultimately, at the end of the day, this is a really interesting look at Mexico in film that brings a certain reality to it that, um, I know, having done a little research for this podcast, uh, several Mexican film reviewers really appreciated Hmm. um, that it actually, there are a lot of of people in this movie who were major players in the Mexican film industry. Um, Like the the guy who who plays the, uh, the commander, uh, Mapache. Yeah. Um, like i believe he was um a director in in mexico That's cool. like i think i think he's he was actually a, a fairly big film director there and um um and that there were several other like many of the main characters like the german officers were played by mexicans and um, just any number of the characters, even a, a bunch of the soldiers and that kind of thing, a lot of them were played by Mexican actors, and that was something that uh, Peckinpah really wanted to do. He was—he had a, a lot of Mexican friends, and he, he really brought them into this film. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a fascinating thing, especially at a time when Hollywood was still... You know, it hadn't quite moved into that new world yet of you know the on location filmmaking mm-hmm. quite as much. It was still very studio driven. You know, it was sixty nine. You were you were starting to get into that shake up of everything, but this was definitely a time, um, you know, where, where Peck and Paw definitely went outside of the system a little bit mm-hmm. and did things in his own way. And and
1: oh yeah, and, it had been very easy to do this on sound stages and mm-hmm. on the back lot kind
0: yeah. of a thing. So it's just it's it's also a fairly interesting depiction of mexico i would say and uh one that i know that has some appreciation from from that standpoint as well so that's just, cool. just an interesting side note of one last, of this whole movie
1: one last thing i want to touch on because we've been touched about the action sequences in this movie there's a really great action sequence about halfway through this film with the train the, robbery the train robbery that ends with the the, the destruction of the bridge mm-hmm. really great it's like it is just a great piece of uh western action that is really would not be any different today it's like it is really well done and it's really startling the way the destruction of the bridge goes down, because I'm not convinced they didn't throw those men and horses into the water through that destruction. It's like, the way it's edited together, if those were dummies, that is phenomenal work. Well, that
0: that was something with this movie, was the treatment of horses. Um, <laughs> not very cause, nice. Well, no, because I, I know this movie was made at a time a, 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 by this point, they weren't using, you know, hopefully lots of trip wires and that kind of thing. But right. there is stuff in here that I'm, I know how you would do it today. Yeah. I have no idea how they did some of it then without destroying the animals. Exactly. And, and so it makes me really hope they didn't. But at the same time, it's, again, fascinating. Um, no, yeah. but it's 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 really very visceral um, sorts of action in it that, that really does just kind of off-put you a little bit. Because mm-hmm. you don't know what happened to those horses. And it's it, it is very disturbing, some of the shots that they are able to pull off. Um, like, the horses going down the sandhill is, yeah. you know, I don't know if they were injured doing that, but it, sort of, it looks very dangerous. It does. If nothing else. Um, and, yeah, so it's, it's it's a... Some of that is is very interesting to me as well. Um, and I think the other thing to touch on, we've talked a lot about the action and the violence in this movie. Mm-hmm. It has three major set pieces in it. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is actually very quiet very um, very quiet, very laid back. Not a ton of dialogue. And I would say most of the main actors in this movie do an excellent job yeah. of bringing characterization to very... I, I, I don't want to call them underwritten, because I actually think there's enough in each of them, but I think the mm-hmm. actors themselves bring a lot... To the characters, they
1: bring uh, they bring history to their characters. Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of the characters, they don't spend a lot of time talking about things, but you get this sense that they know each other, that they've been together for the past thirty years, that they have. You know, there is there's a weight to that they bring to the characters, which is really great because a lot of these actors, I'm not overly familiar with. I I recognize William Holden and I know him, and Ernest Borgnine i know from a lot more comedy type roles especially in the past couple of years he's kind of popped up on things um but to see them all together in this yeah it's a very well-assembled cast and not necessarily one that um it's not a cast that gets your attention right away at least not for me it's not like oh cool you know steve mcqueen and yul brimmer's in this i'll check it out (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. it's a lot of almost character actors doing really good work
0: yeah so um verdict scott what did you ultimately what did you think of this you just said a
1: word that i think perfectly describes my reaction off-putting <laughs> <laughs> um the movie begins with a sequence of children playing well there's a there's an opening credit sequence which, which is really interesting interesting and well done but then it opens with these children playing with scorpions where they've dropped these scorpions into an anthill and you're watching these red ants kill these scorpions and it is real. You can tell this is really an, two scorpions fighting for their life. Their their tails are going everywhere. They're stinging themselves at, by the end because that's basically how a scorpion will kill itself. If it realizes it's going to die, it will sting itself. And it's really, I mean, I'm kind of sensitive to some of that sometimes. And that... Put, it put me off at the very beginning. I kind of went, oh. And I kind of realized that was probably going to be a metaphor for our main heroes for the rest of the film, in which mm-hmm. the world kind of picks them apart until they kill themselves, which is kind of what happens. Um, it is not a very pleasant film. It's not even a film I particularly enjoyed as far as getting an entertainment enjoyment out of it. Um, that being said, I really liked it. And I, I really, actually, do. I really would re- recommend this movie to people, especially if you are a fan of the western genre, if you're interested in looking at, you know, and if this is somehow one that you've missed, uh, definitely check it out. Um, this is a movie that, um, again, I don't know, who, you know, what circles you run, but this might not be a film that you get your friends together and watch, but it might be, you know, if you have that group of friends that have a little uh, film club and you get together and you watch movies. This would be a great one for it because if you're going into it with a kind of an open mind and you're thinking about the 1960s and what's going on in america it's going to lead to a lot of really interesting conversations that i think are still relevant today um so yeah i would definitely say find it um i found it uh, at my you know i know it's at netflix i found it at a used uh, movie store that i work at for like four dollars so it's it's easy and cheap to find
0: yeah um no I, I would tend to agree with you Scott it's you know it's it is definitely an off-putting kind of movie but in the best way possible to say that yes off-putting more in in the sense of of its is it sets you on edge and keeps you off balance you
1: never feel safe
0: you never feel safe in this movie and and it will disturb you but that's kind of the point of the film and um and why I would consider it definitely one of the great. Movies um, and, and something that I think you should watch. I think your enjoyment of this is going to grow. The more you know about film history, the more you know about western his, you know westerns and, and the history of the western, um, and the more you can put this into the, the social context of the time. I think the more you are going to get out of the film, um, but that said, it's still a good movie in its own right. Um, it's not necessarily enjoyable. In the sense of you're going to have fun with it, but it's going to be—it's—it's it's an interesting movie to watch, and um, it's not my favorite western, but I think it's one of the more important westerns. I'd say so, and that—that—that's that, kind of where I would come down on it.
1: Yeah, and you know, talking about it one one little thing about it as well that we, I forgot to touch on, was that Peckinpah wanted, you know, people to be reviled by the violence. He wanted to show people really how terrible this violence was, because he kind of felt like people were kind of not paying enough attention to the, the news of Vietnam and how violent and how horrible it was over there. And he was really disturbed by the fact that people responded to the violence in his movie and weren't turned off by it. You know, it's like, it was something that he really wanted people to talk about and think about and be disgusted by, but instead People continue to make very, very violent films for the sheer entertainment of it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know we've touched on in several of our recent podcasts, like The Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've seen Spartacus recently, which is about gladiators and that kind of thing. And um, you know, I think there really is something towards the core of human nature
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um, that does go into this world a little bit more of. Um, violence and where we are entertained by it as as human beings, and um, you know I I don't know that this podcast is the place to, to pass judgment on that or anything, but it's it is it is a very um, very real phenomenon and you know something that I I don't think Peck and Paw was expecting out of this, but at the same time looking back and knowing where we are today, mm-hmm. and then looking back into history in a way it shouldn't be surprising i would say
1: absolutely again i I touched on at the beginning of this podcast but this is exactly the same line of discussion i was having with myself walking out of cabin in the woods it was made in this for this same conversation i believe Mm -hmm. so it's a it's in a, a different genre but it is the same conversation which is really to me what made it interesting and maybe important but um so lauren maybe people have already seen this they don't really care or maybe what we've described to them sounds interesting but eh, not the wild bunch tonight what's something else they might want to check out
0: okay well um you know i would say western wise um you know everybody goes to john wayne and there are some fantastic john wayne movies so so don't you know don't go against that but uh two of my favorites um the first would be The Shootist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the last movie that John Wayne did. And it's kind of his deconstruction in a way of the Western genre. Um, basically he plays an aged gunfighter who kind of ends up in this small town and it's kind of his, his final glory days. Um, but in, in kind of a very, it's, it's, it doesn't happen in the way that you expect it to. It's, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's got some really neat, um, neat places that it goes in that movie um so i i quite like the Shootist. um the other one i would say is the man who shot liberty valance um it has john wayne and jimmy stewart in it and Mm -hmm. it's in some ways it's more jimmy stewart's movie than john wayne um but it's a it's it's a both a fantastic story and a well-done movie Mm -hmm. and you know i would say it's it's definitely a highlight of maybe both of their careers Mm -hmm. um so those those would be two that i would point to uh for john wayne um High Noon, I know I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. um, is one of my favorite Westerns of all time. It's one of your favorite
1: films of all time. It's one
0: of my favorite films of all time. Um, it's, it is a fantastic story. It has fantastic filmmaking and it has some very important messages in the film. So between all of that, um, yeah, High Noon is, is amazing. Um, so I would, I, I always take every opportunity to recommend High Noon to people. Um, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid came out the same year as this movie. I love so that movie so yeah,
1: much. Yeah,
0: it's it's a great movie. has a great song right in the middle of it. Some raindrops keep falling on on your head. It kind of um, comes
1: out of nowhere, but it's really great.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and it's interesting to kind of look at it in context of this movie or this movie in context of it, and kind of compare them and see, you know, where exactly westerns were at that time and and kind of where that that world was headed. Um, Recently, True Grit came out a couple of years ago. That it's a remake great. of an of an older movie. Um, I would say watch the new one. I, I personally find it much easier to watch, um, and and quite liked it. I you know I would definitely say the 2010 well, Coen Brothers.
1: Just I mean it's it's funny, it's traumatic, mm-hmm. it's just a kind of everything you kind of want in a movie. It's really great.
0: Yeah, um, Ride the High Country is think- an earlier Peckinpah film. Um, it's kind of I would say it's from before he started completely deconstructing the genre. And, um, but I would also say it's a highlight of his career as well. So if, if you're interested in kind of maybe seeing the progression of, of where Sam Peckinpah went, you know, how he got to, Mm uh, this movie ride, the high country is a great place to kind of start in some of that journey. And then, uh, you can't really talk about Westerns without, Touching on Sergio Leone, so any any of the fistful or the uh, the dollar trilogy, fistful of dollars, a few dollars more. Uh, my favorite out of that is the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it has uh, some amazing moments, and you know my my favorite parts of that movie are, are towards the end uh, in the graveyard, looking for the gold and the shootout there and stuff. I I just I love the music during that section. I love the shootout. I, everything about that is beautiful beautiful filmmaking so um yeah that those are some of the places I would point people after watching this
1: all great suggestions and I would add to those um Deadwood is a HBO show that ran for three seasons that I feel is almost like the grandchild of, of this because it kind of not only does it take place at the same time but it kind of tries to do the same thing where it puts you off very early like the very first scene you go oh so this is the kind of show we're going to be in and I think in the first episode, it's like, it's about the real town of Deadwood and how they're getting, uh, telegraph lines, you know, so it's like technology in the modern era is creeping in on the West. And there's people in town, um, Swearingen specifically who runs this one saloon who does not want modern technology, does not want the government. It's this, you know, Deadwood is kind of this notorious uh, town in the West that the law was outside of because they were technically outside of America at that time. Um, Really fascinating, very rated R. Um, kind of a realistic look at uh, the West, while also being kind of its own uh, stylized rendition of it. Yeah,
0: it was. It was very interesting watching the Wild Bunch because the whole time I was kind of thinking. I I was putting Deadwood into the context of the movie and kind of definitely seeing how it was like just two generations removed, basically, you know, but like the characters could actually fit into each other's worlds pretty easily, pretty seamlessly. And and there were almost conversations in the wild bunch where like the way they were speaking and just kind of like the, the, the styling of their language and stuff yeah. actually could have fit into Deadwood. Some, yeah,
1: we could have a whole podcast on what uh, what they did in Deadwood, which is really uh, phenomenal. Just the whole breakdown of society, the breakdown of language, the breakdown of humans and the soul. It's mm-hmm. Just like there's so many things that happen in that show. Do go, do know going in. It is a very rated R, and mostly for language, but there is also some uh, nudity and violence that take place. But it is yeah
0: in anything that you can imagine that could take place in an r-rated film
1: takes place it, in the first five minutes <laughs> yeah
0: it is definitely there in deadwood
1: um, a movie that i think is maybe is maybe more stylistically similar to the wild bunch than content wise is tombstone it's probably my favorite western uh, maybe it, it might be the movie that really might be the first western i ever really saw even which is odd <laughs> um Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer as Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, kind of a Hollywood rendition of the story of Tombstone and the shootout at the OK Corral. Um, It's just a a terribly fun film, Uh, you know, very violent, very bloody, Um, directed in part by the guy who directed Rambo and in part directed by uh, Kurt Russell. Uh, because there was a lot of issues on set (laughs) apparently um a lot of fun though it's it's my favorite wider doc holiday movie Mm -hmm. and it's almost all because of val kilmer he is so great as doc holiday so immensely quotable and it just uh,
0: would would you say that this movie is your huckleberry
1: yes (laughs) does this mean we're not friends anymore (laughs) you know ed if i didn't think we were friends i don't think i could bear it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i love it oh like everything doc holiday says is just so wonderful uh, very uh, again you know kind of stylized um not quite the story that happened but it doesn't really matter it's the west it's allowed to have its legends um magnificent seven another western which is probably more the, in the style of the classic western um, definitely yeah. yet very eastern in the fact that it was an adaptation of seven samurai um, mm-hmm. Which is also very interesting. Great cast, and just it's one of those movies that I think people still go back to, um, for style and for content and for just you know this you know let's get the seven best people together and do something you know yeah whether it's, it's Saving Private Ryan I think people compared to Magnificent Seven A Bug's Life it goes back Ocean's to- Eleven Ocean's kind Eleven of- you know it's like there's yeah. so many movies that kind of take from it um, but it's really worth watching because it's again. Yeah. Um, great cast, really well done, just immensely fun. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. There's there's nothing bad about Magnificent Seven. I I am a huge fan of that movie. Yeah. Um, the new
1: three hundred and ten to Yuma, I really really liked. Um, again, it's kind of and I put it here because it is a more modern film that is kind of an exploration of these kind of unlikable characters. You kind of have, you know, it's a very, every character in that film is very gray. Nobody's really good. Nobody's really bad. Even the good guy isn't really good. You know, uh, Christian Bale and uh, Russell Crowe are awesome in it. Alan Tudyk is in it, um, who, again, I love Alan Tudyk. Um, Really just a good, solid Western that is, you know, probably made, you know, I'm sure the people who made it uh, look back to um, I mean, we were just a wild bunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> back to that, for certain stylistic decisions, get very modern. You know, definitely something where you're going to have a lot of language and violence in the way that is kind of coming mm-hmm. from that. And last thing I was going to recommend for any of you gamers out there, Red Dead Redemption. If you haven't played it, it's I think only available for the three hundred and sixty and the PS three.
0: Is it on the PC? It's not. It is not on the PC. No. Much, much to us PC gamers' Sorry, chagrin. Come a, on, Rockstar. It's a great game. Um,
1: people, have, people have said it's the Grand Theft Auto of the West, and that is a fair comparison. I liked it a lot more than Grand Theft Auto, because this game, you play a good guy. You play a, a once-outlaw who's trying to make good on his corrupt and wicked life. He has a, a wife and child back home, and he's come out to this town to try to settle a score so that he, he can live in peace. Um, things happen and it's really kind of set in this very same time that the wild Bunch is. it is at the end of um, the West you know you have that encroachment of technology you have this it is the end of this story and it is a really fun game you know you you, it's one of those sandbox games where you get to roam around and you get to be a cowboy and it's cool because there are these it starts off and you have these little side missions like oh you're gonna you're gonna live at this ranch so you need to help out this woman and herd cattle and it doesn't sound like fun, but it is. Like they, it's a really, it's like it's a game that makes you actually care and think about things. Like, oh no, if the cows head that way, I If they head towards the ravine, I can't get them back. It's like you're riding your horse faster to beat them to the ravine and start, turn them around. And the storm's coming in, and the lightning freaks them out. And it's it's a really well done game, and there's shootouts and. All sorts of things. Um, Red Dead Redemption, if you have a 360 or PS3, uh, definitely go find it. I think they just released a Game of the Year edition, which had extra downloadable content um, included, including, of course, the requisite
0: zombie version of the game. Well, and who wouldn't want zombies? Zombies of the West? West! Mm-hmm. you know <laughs> it could be the sequel to cowboys and aliens cowboys, cowboys and zombies <laughs> cowboys and aliens and anyhow <laughs> all right well thank you guys for joining us today for another wonderful we are quite certain you will agree episode of movies you should love um, as always you can follow us on Twitter at movies you should um, you can follow us on Facebook and get all kinds of updates and stuff at facebook.com slash movies you should uh, you can Definitely join in the conversation at our website, love.com So we hope to see you next time when we will be talking about number 78 on AFI's top 100 films, the Charlie Chaplin classic, Modern Times. So excited. I love that movie. <laughs> Indeed. So we will see you next time. See you then. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com.